Welcome back to the Fantasy Take TV podcast. You're on once again for the first time with Cheezo. With me this afternoon, I've got JD, NO, and Pistol. And we're going to be talking a little bit of draft, a little bit of mid price of rankings, maybe a little bit of banter in between. I'm going to introduce my guests. We've got JD, mate. How are you, champion? I'm, uh, I'm very good, thanks. A little bit disappointed that JB has invented some disease called COVID to dodge me. <laughs> I mean, I drafted, what, Butters in one draft with him and all of a sudden he can't do podcasts with me anymore. This is a bit ridiculous. I thought we had like that, you know, JB, JD acronym thing going on, but I guess not. That's, yeah, a bit disappointed, a bit flat about that. You see it as a friend. He sees it as competition. That's just how he rolls, mate. You know, like he, he's been building up to having COVID this week just to make sure he can watch the entire first round. So he's not getting out of it at this stage. Yeah, no, but yeah. in all seriousness, hope he's feeling better. Yeah. And I talked to us, mate. You've got your Lynx Africa on. You're smelling good, feeling <laughs> yeah, good, spot, drafting you good. You spotted that behind me. So, no, nah, I'm actually out, mate. I need, need some more. I like how JD is trying to get in that he's now part of the expert crew any any chance he gets. So, um, <laughs> we, we understand, mate. But, no, nah, no, nah, really keen, boys. Footy starts in two days. So, um, really, really looking forward to it. Pistol, you're plugged into the mainframe. You've got your charging ports there. We can see. How are you? I'm good. I liked how you said... Um, this this afternoon just because you know up in the far north queensland you're like what is it, you're six hours behind us or something it's sunny all day round, mate it's it's like being in the antarctic it's just pure put sun your, put on your glasses i think it's a little bit of glare coming through your windows don't tempt me <laughs> uh good to hear boys what are we doing tonight <laughs> <laughs> talk, we could, talk, whatever talk you want, through. you're the host. I, we got to follow. I, I've been given 20 minutes notice, and I'm excited <laughs> to be here. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a little bit of feedback here, lads. What, well, what's the plan? Yeah. So for for listeners that tuning in, Chizo and I had none of the planning, none of the input to this. And <laughs> every time we ask what's happening, and Owen Pistol just give us blank looks, like this is <laughs> this is going nowhere in a hurry. I think we're going to talk some team structures, some templates. Yeah. Like we're looking for some nods, some confirmation. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good plan, boys. We've compiled a template each based on our sort of communities here. Do we want to start off with your template first, and maybe a little bit of the reasoning behind why we're seeing it? There's a, there's some minor differences between the two, um, but I think they're also important in particular lines. Why? Um, you know, two really, really passionate Supercoach communities can differ so strongly in some important points. So uh, why don't you start us with the the defense line and and tell us why you're starting where you are. Sure, yeah. So we, uh, I guess, wanted to do something a little bit different to make sure the structures were a little bit different. Oh, the visual <laughs> comedy is not going to go well on the podcast, but this is great. <laughs> I'm loving it. Thanks, boys. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so this is, I guess, like if the defender rookies do kind of come up, um, can you go a little bit deeper in the midfield and a little bit lighter down back? Um, so in defense, we've got Ridley, Short, Whitfield and Hewitt. And I'll pause there for any thoughts or concerns from the, the Dr. Supercoach boys. I mean... Is you want to take it? <laughs> yeah, concerns. Um, well, I've got a couple of questions. We won't call them concerns just yet, obviously, because we've got our, um, I guess thoughts about it but I want to point out Hewitt at D4 as well as uh, Gipkis on field I'm wondering if uh, Eno is a Tigers fan if you provide some sort of insight for the decision on uh, Gipkis 
Look, JD put this together. I think Gibkus would be on the bench oh. in this instance. <laughs> no, nah, I definitely have McCartney. It's on for field. the projected points. Come on, we all do it. We all do it. As soon as something goes wrong, wrong I think more. that was JD's call. That was JD's call. No, no, it's just the hey, mate, most mate, expensive look. players on the field looks nice. All right, that's, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, you'd have McCartney on field there, but but Hewitt, I think JD and and a lot of the other Discord members were really hot on him way before I'd seen him play this preseason. Um, and then after the two games he put together in in the engine room for Carlton, um, I, I was jumping on board. You know, he was really clean around the contest. He had almost thirty touches, I think, in both games. Obviously, concerns maybe Walsh out, you know, when he comes back, the midfield minutes might drop. But I think he's still in the clear, like, top four midfielders for them and and they got him across for a reason. So I think he obviously presents value. Whether he's, you know, top six to eight at the end of the year is probably the question everyone has around him. But for me, that like, with the cash we need, in our, you know, elsewhere this season, I think he's almost a no-brainer just for me because of how much you sort of save from a primo with him. So he's been, you know, the fourth midfielder before. Uh, for mm. Sydney, there's a stark difference between when he was the second um, CBA attendee compared to the fourth CBA attendee. Made a massive difference in his scores. Obviously, as you would predict, the further up the ladder and rung he was, he scored much better. Um, scoring really suffered when he was the fourth in line as a midfielder for the for the Swannies. Do you think that's maybe a team difference for Carlton, or are you expecting him to? Um, I guess you're expecting to trade him out, you know, kind of at a peak price before he gets to his buy or how do you, how do you expect to play it with Hewitt? So I would contest that he's fourth in line and this is a little bit controversial, but I don't think Chero is ahead of him and definitely not as an inside mid. I think they're obviously both going to go through the midfield a lot, but I would have Hewitt ahead of him. I think the big difference between at the blues versus at the swans is by all reports and from what we've seen so far, they're going to let him off the chain and actually go head to head in contests rather than doing defensive or stopping duties at a lot of stoppages. And I think that's where the upside comes from because when he has had games like that in the past, he's averaged in the high nineties or even low one hundreds. Um, but when you do have those games where he's been given the tagging or defensive roles, his CBAs still look good, but he hasn't scored as well. So I think that's where the big difference comes from. Obviously, Walsh being out at the start of the year helps a little bit, but then he's going to come back relatively early, and how that plays out is yet to be seen. Um, but yeah, I, I would have him ahead of Chera in their rotations. I think he also adds something different that uh, the other three don't have when it comes to the defensive side of his game. And I think the thing that surprised me most during the preseason was how clean he was. I actually rate his disposal ahead of Chero's, ahead of Cripps. It's probably only behind, well, it's definitely behind Walsh, but yeah, would have him second in that regard as well. So I think there is a lot of upside for him in that midfield where he is being used in a way that is a little bit more super coach friendly than what we saw at the Swans. So you're not expecting to trade him out. You're picking him as a dead set keeper for the uh, season. It's It's one of those ones where like, I think he probably ends up in the six to 10 range. And if he ends up around that point, you don't have to trade him out. He's a luxury last upgrade. Yep. And you obviously don't want too many of those in the team. Like I wouldn't be starting him and Sicily, for example, because they're both in the same boat. Yep. Um, so it is one of those where he could potentially be a keeper or you maybe trade him out depending on what's happening. And of course, if you see CBAs going backwards or him tagging, then it's going to be a disaster. But I, I just think that's uh, not likely. Interesting. All right, cool. And I assume uh, I know you were making a joke about Gibkiss, but what? And I do think he can average um, as a defender rookie because obviously an inflated price, hundred and seventy-one k, is not like super appealing. Um, so how do you see his scoring potential? Yeah, it's it's not great. I'll be honest. Um, like fifty for me would be absolute, probably best case scenario. Like he might, you know, 
he might put out a really good game just out of pure luck and, and intercept everything coming his way. One game, but yeah, he's not in this team or we're not, and no one's picking him for, for his scoring potential. It's just that I'm pretty sure he's got good job security. The slight issues around maybe you've lost and misses and then you don't really know how good it really is if, if there's a couple of guys missing. Um, but I think you're just picking him because, I mean, who the hell else is there? You know, like, <laughs> he, he, <laughs> you know, we're trying to rely. Maybe Josh Singh gets named. You know, he's not in this team. Um, we got Hinge here whose shoulder's fallen off and, Paddy McCartan, who looks really strong, and then DeConning, who I've seen some Cats fans not have him anywhere near the 22 just because you don't know what Chris Scott's going to do. So Gibkiss is only there and just because there really is not much else um, to yeah. pick from. Yeah, I think it is a structure where it would really benefit from having Sin um, being named in round one, and then you could drop Gibkiss altogether, who mm-hmm. I, I think you're calling out um, the right things pistol. Like job security is probably okay, but scoring potentials pretty average and it's hard to see him um, returning 150k kind of at that elevated starting price yeah, love it uh, if i if i can step in for a moment i think it does it gives you two things it gives a flexibility um coming into the team lists like if you've got a, uh, a a nick martin in the forward line and then he isn't named and you've got to find 25k you've got to find money to to do something with it i think the difference with gibkus is worst case scenario we don't get the people named he's going to be playing i, I don't necessarily mm. subscribe to the theory that he's competing with vloston um i think that's probably more along the um the hugo route than it is with gibkus they're, they're not necessarily dissimilar but they're not playing the same role for the tigers i don't think um so if sin is named it's a really easy switch to bring in someone like that um but at the, this point in time with such um low confidence in the defensive rookies being named that's what you're paying for you know it's all all well and good to say he's not going to make 150k scoring 40s but neither is the 10 other guys that aren't even playing so i i would take 100k over nothing i'm going to throw a quick question out of jd because uh i feel like you can handle the the pressure of this question let's say all four of those defender rookies are named and then jordan Boyd is named 123k defender. Um, I guess you can give me your answer with or without Doherty in the side. Um, I mean, or, or both. Can't be both, but you know what I mean. Are you are you <laughs> dropping Gibkiss for Boyd? Uh, so if Doherty's name, mm. he has been. It's on. It's on Twitter. 14 minutes ago. Doherty's oh, going to be playing uh, round one. Playing round one and- by Michael Voss. Oh, and is Boyd named? Yeah. What else has Voss revealed to us? <laughs> no, it's just uh, it, the only important thing is that um, um, hit, clickbait, Sam Doherty playing for Carlton in round one following second cancer battle, according to Michael Voss. How is that clickbait? <laughs> well, no, I, I, they're not going to put out an article about Jordan Boyd. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they it's, a feel, the it's a feel-good story that they want people to click on and read the the. Right, so Doherty's playing, and now Boyd yeah. is named. <laughs> um, mean, are you taking him good. over Gibkiss? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I think Boyd's job security is less, and his scoring potential is probably even worse than Gibkiss. So at the what forty-eight k difference that you have in price between the two, it's yeah, I'd probably still rather have Gibkiss unless it really let you do something fun with your structure. Uh, but no, I like. I can't imagine that I would take Boyd over Gibkiss. Could could you see yourself doing that, Pistol? I mean, I, I've actively structured my side to avoid having to take Gibkiss into round one. So 
hypothetically, <laughs> the answer is probably yes. Boyd, Boyd or Gibkiss. <laughs> You'd take Boyd over Gibkiss? I probably would. I think um, if his name's next to Doherty, I think he'll, he'll be in the side for as long as he plays. And I don't really see that to be any different than Sin. Uh, obviously, mm. he's just a better footballer, but the competition is stronger on the fringe of Port Adelaide's 22 as well. So if they're both going to be needing to play every game to be named, then I'm, I'm taking Boyd, who, to be honest, like he hasn't had you know great super coach scores, but he's played decently besides a couple of turnovers at the beginning of both matches. Um, so I could see him playing as a small defender in that Carlton side for, you know, until he has a bad game. And that's an extra 50K that you could use to free up potentially, um, you know, getting rid of Hewitt <laughs> out of your side or something like that. Um, what? No, <laughs> no. There's no way that's happening. Uh, all right. Well, that's, could, I think that's pretty good. <laughs> no, there's no way that's happening. That's, that's a, a shocking thing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I hope we don't see Sicily next. So just to recap the defense and we'll move on to the midfield. So uh, Ridley Short, Whitfield and George Hewitt as the three and a half primos. I'm going to concede some room for you there, Pistol. And then uh, Hinge, Gibkiss, uh, McCartan and DeConning as the four rook, rookie or cheaper price defenders. In the midfield, we've then got uh, McRae, Steele, Tukmiller, and Neil as the four primos here. And that is the beauty of this structure is that you can add in three of those real big gun premiums. Um, you must be pretty happy looking at that at least, Pistol, even if there is a George Hewitt or two in the side. No, the midfield looks fantastic. I mean, it's pretty much if I had infinite budget and then still obviously had rookie issues, they would be that midfield is a midfield I would take into round one. Uh, perfect. And then I guess the bigger mission here is no Raoul, um, which is how we fit in all of these. But we do have uh, Barry, Horn Francis, Dacos, Ward, uh, Dylan Stevens, McDonald, and Hoff to finish off the rookie or cheaper price players. Any, I assume it's just there's no spots for Raoul rather than you don't want Raoul. Is that right? Yeah, I'm Raoul's in my personal team and I've been on him pretty big all preseason. It's just to fit this structure that he's been omitted. And I guess the um, like interesting part of the discussion here is, is do you see Rao making enough money or potentially being a keeper and therefore being a must-have? Uh, or is there a world where, you know, he's just like a one of the better mid-prices and you could maybe omit him if structure permits? Well, he only needs to average 91 to make 150K. So... I would say he's going to probably, unless injury happens, he's probably going to do that in a canter. Um, if he doesn't become a top eight premium or top 10 premium or whatever it is, it doesn't really matter if you're able to then still trade him out at his buy at you know 150K profit. So you can use him as a stepping stone. You can use him as a, well, depending on how he scores, you could potentially use him as a keeper. I think you've just got that. It's a pick with a lot of flexibility behind it, which is very appealing. Yeah, and I think we saw um, a lot of the teams at the top end. So I think Supercoach Mama, for example, had Taranto, which wasn't exactly a great mid, mid-price mid pick, um, but was one that sat at M8 through pretty much the whole year uh, because there just wasn't opportunity to trade them out. And I could see Rao kind of doing the same where they does get to like a mid-105 type range. And even though he's not an ideal keeper, it's like one of the last upgrades you do in your team and, and well and truly makes over 200K. She'll want me to correct you there because <laughs> she was very anti Taranto towards the end, was driving her nuts to trade him out at the last buy around, I believe it was, um, to uh, upgrade him. And if she'd kept him another month, he went on the average, I think it was 61 in that month, and she would have not won Supercoach if she had not went to Taranto <laughs> for the whole season. So, so the good, good correction, good shout, good shout. <laughs> I think the timing is 
important, I guess, with a Taranto type player because of volatility of his scores. Raul, you're hoping would be a bit consistent just because of his play style. It also happens in more breaking news. I'm not sure if you've seen it. There's been mm-hmm, a lot of breaking news on this podcast. Um, he said on Fox Footy 20 minutes ago or so that he suffered from OP. Osteopubis last season that's now cleared up. So another, I guess... I'm not sure if it makes him extremely injury prone or if it like makes you feel better that he's passed it and now he's, you know, has a full fitness. I'm not, I'm not sure which way that one goes actually. I mean, I think it goes to help explaining what happened at the end of last year uh, because it wasn't just the PCL and kind of like a couple of interrupted seasons of footy that he was coming back from. It was another problem as well, which we kind of know affects running and would explain why he maybe didn't have the same spread around the contest or explosiveness that we saw in his rookie year. So I guess like it just points to to potentially more of where the upside's coming from. But yeah, I guess it does also bring in that maybe he's a little bit more injury prone than what we thought because the PCL and kind of shoulder injuries were unfortunate where OP is one that can linger and flare up. That makes a lot of sense. I think we should give uh, Cheese on a bit of a... Oh, yeah, <laughs> a sorry. There's a hey, on yeah, sorry. <laughs> Mate, I'm just working on my team over here. I'm just uh, I'm using this as like a, an education session and I'm just making a few structure changes based on what you guys are talking about. Do you want to have a chat? <laughs> um, oh, I, I guess the, the, the contrast between Jared Berry and Matty Rao is that I did a bit of a risk analysis um, podcast the other day and the way that I sort of approach mid-prices is I really simply try and calculate a margin of safety, uh, basically trying to predict what are the the chances of player X versus player Y reaching a uh, the like a minimum amount of cash generating. Like it's all it's all well and good to to sit here and say, oh, he had this injury and then now he's fixed that and he's got no strapping on his shoulder in terms of Matty Rao. The kid's still only played 17 games. You know, mm. like it's uh, the the likelihood of picking Matty Rao to be a 22-game player that has the upside of 115 and becoming a keeper, I think people are just completely out of their minds if that's how they're approaching that selection. They need to pick Matty Rao as a selection that is primarily a stepping stone with a yep. 5% chance of him going 100-plus. Like I, uh, for the for the... Like this is a really poor example to use, but Nick Cox had an opening two months last year. Everyone was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't start him at his elevated price, rah, 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 rah. And then the last, I want to say like 10 weeks of the year, I don't think he got 10 possessions combined. It's unlikely with Hugh Greenwood gone as well, he is pretty much their second midfielder 17 games into his career. I just don't... I don't subscribe to the theory that he has the potential to be a season-long keeper. And if he's going to be a stepping stone, Jared Berry, with nearly 100 games under his belt, has um, more margin of safety to make me enough cash. And there's no question about Jared Berry being a keeper. We know he's a stepping stone. We're not getting sucked into this trap of thinking, you know, oh, I've got 13 and a half keepers because I've got Matty Rao. I, I think people are getting a little bit deluded based on what he can actually produce. Yeah, I think I totally agree with you there. I'm definitely, if I had to choose, I'm on the Jared Berry train over Matty Rao. It's just that that game on Monday last week really just put Matty Rao right into contention. It came at the 
almost the worst time. He just threw everything out, out of out of whack and and was forcing everyone to to change their structures. But um, yeah, I think I I agree with you with the safety there of Jared Berry. Obviously, doesn't have to average as much. He's got yeah more games under his belt. Um, may not have as good a role, but he's shown in the past he can, he can at least you know churn out sort of nineties and, and make us that cash that we need. So. If you had to choose between the two, I'm I'm definitely on the Berry side of things, and that 100k or close to it can can do quite a bit for your team. What what would JD and Pistol you boys decide if you absolutely had to choose between the two? And of course, the price makes it a little bit harder of, of a decision. But yeah, what, what do you guys think? Berry. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's pretty easy Berry for me as well. Yeah. I mean, I've noted that Chizo is a non-believer, and non-believers will not be rewarded and be taken to the promised <laughs> land by Matty Rao. But no, I think um, you, you're spot on that there is, just based on the price and the history, that Berry is a safer option for the two to do what you, you select them for, which is make you that money and be that stepping stone to a true premium. Yeah, if I can, if I can say one more thing on, on Matty Rao, is that people are attributing 12 i think it was 12 games he played he played more than half a season last year and he averaged in the low Wasn't 60s good. and people are saying oh but Hugh Greenwood's left i don't think he played with Hugh Greenwood like i think when i checked the center bounce attendance data he played like two of his 10 games with Hugh Greenwood anyway he's literally walking into this season with the exact same role and osteitis pubis is a, as you mentioned a lingering issue that that you know, he's, he's officially over and he's got no problem with it. It doesn't erase the fact that we have exposed form on him not doing the 100 that everyone predicted he would do last year. People were buying him at 500K to start the season. So it's not ridiculous to suggest that 91 is like the the, the, the amount that he needs to make 150K and, and barely scrape through as a successful selection actually has some risk involved. Everyone's only seeing the upside. Like the, if everything goes his way, he probably does average 91, but there's nothing to say based on exposed form. He's guaranteed to do that. And I think people are just locking him in as if he's a, a, a sure thing like Jack McRae. Still a good pick yeah. though. We're just deciding between him and Barry and they're both good picks. So yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus, yeah take well, us we... through the rocks. I think, uh, because I can see there's a bigger Darcy and Grundy Dixon line there, and we know how much you love Darcy. So take us through your thoughts on, I guess, this starting combo. <laughs> I'm probably the biggest Darcy fan amongst the, the three of us. I Did you get JD him last year? No, yeah, how many of no. us owned him last year? I think no. it was just Cheezo. <laughs> just Cheezo. Oh, that's the genius move you made, was it? No, congrats. <laughs> no. But was it a nervous watch every week? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to I had to go to an island with no phone reception and give my password to Pistol. That legitimately <laughs> happened in round 22. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. I was like, I can't um, watch this. Look... He didn't look too hot, I'll be honest, in that in that second preseason game. But then then you see that he had eleven out of twenty hitouts to advantage and turned out a ninety five with with barely <laughs> it felt like he barely was running out there. It, it actually it probably does put some doubt in your mind, but at the same time put some confidence. So I, I totally understand people being off him. And I think he's I was looking yesterday, his ownership's dropped all the way down to like ten percent almost. Like he's a Gorn and Grundy have just uh, Back, back into form. I know none of us or most of us probably thought it was a year it was finally going to change from that, but yep. it, it's definitely that, that for the for the season 2022. So uh, I just, these upsides just incredible. So I, I'm going to start him and, and fully expect at some point probably having to trade him, but I think the points 
that I'll get in the bank from him um, will have me sort of ahead at that point. So, um, yeah, I do love Darcy. We give him the Shrek nickname in the Discord and um, I just love watching him play. He's an absolute man mountain. So, look, the other the, the choice for me is actually between Grundy and Gorn and we'll get that to in a sec. But, um, JD, do you want to chuck your Darcy thoughts in? <laughs> Another dawn believer camp. <laughs> I didn't know we had one in the chat. Um, yeah, so I, I think you've covered it. So I mean, the the simple trade-off between Darcy and Gorn is Gorn is safer. Darcy is higher upside in my mind. And I guess it comes down to looking at your team overall. Um, do you have the capacity to take on a little bit more risk, and is it worth doing it in the ruck spot? Uh, I think. People are getting a little bit carried away with preseason games. Like you try and not evaluate primo scoring during the preseason. And I mean, like maybe you're really worried about Darcy having like another three knocks during preseason. But I mean, he played through like eight last year and he was fine. I mean, he's, I think he's just carries on a bit. Oh, it was nine. I mean, like left games and comebacks. I mean, there was nothing funnier, can I just say, and, and I should—I don't think Cheesy will agree with this, but like he's—he's on—he's on like I don't know, eighty after like ten minutes, and then he's like off getting his hamstring like rubbed down by a physio, and then he's back on, and then he's back off again. Like, just seeing people that were on that roller coaster was like pretty funny. Um, but I mean, he had a four-game stretch where he put what together the most super coach points, the second most super coach points of any player in the last ten or twenty years, or something ridiculous like that. So the upside is is real in this pick, and it just I think comes down to your risk tolerance and preference. But I am yeah. slightly leaning towards taking Darcy over Gorn at the moment. Is there any thought given to? Um counteracting any additional risk you take in in having Darcy somewhere else in your side? Yeah, so I, I think like this side's um, that we're looking at, the premiums in the midfield, for example, all very durable. I mean, Neil's had the one bad year, but the rest are all super durable. The defenders are all pretty durable outside of Whitfield and I guess a little bit of Hewitt, depending on how much you um, think the back's going to bother him. And then the forward line comes as a bit of a risk, but that seems to be the stock standard every year. So I like I, I don't think there's too many risky premiums in this side to the point where you couldn't add Darcy into the mix. Yeah, no, I, I just I find it interesting hearing everyone's kind of like their own risk tolerance is, is going to be reflected in their um, their structures. And I think uh, it, it's interesting to say that Darcy fits your risk tolerance. I was just wondering whether that is incorporated to the risk profile of your entire side because obviously Whitfield has his own risks. We've got really poor information on the rookies down back and we've got two on field. We've got Hewitt who is arguably not going to be a keeper 60 to 40 percent split um we've got berry who is priced accordingly because he's got his own risk and then we've got three mid prices in the forward line and then durden and martin on the bench so it's like um it's interesting to 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 weigh up each individual player and say oh darcy fits my risk profile or my risk tolerance but does it fit the risk profile of your entire side is is, is sort of the question i'm asking Yep, no, I totally, totally agree. And I think you guys have Grundy as a lock, as far as I'm aware. I, I, most people probably do, but yep. um, yeah, it just after the neck injury back after last year, didn't really get going again, and and this year seems to be fit. And he was a guy that has publicly put it out there, wasn't you know too happy through the COVID situation and whatnot. So I think mm. back in Melbourne, he'll be he'll be raring to go. That's yeah, it agreed. is very interesting hearing the Darcy thoughts. I mean. 
Yeah, I feel like the nine injuries are kind of laughed off, but like he does carry on a bit. I mean, we've had exposed form, as Jesus would say, of years and years of him carrying these sort of niggles throughout games. And it's it kind of felt like to me nine injuries and not, you know, missing a week is a luxury that Fremantle, I guess, didn't have just because they didn't have the depth available. And now um, you know, that was because Lobb was injured. Um, now with Meek and Lobb fit, well, unless Darcy wants to KO Lob again, but while they're both fit, <laughs> if he were to get one of these niggles, it feels like they do have the depth, I guess, to cover him this season. So it would be interesting to see if last season was more of an anomaly and he would typically get a rest after one of these niggles, um, you know, compared to last season. So that's kind of where I'm at. And and, and again, Anna, you said you would feel comfortable trading Darcy if he got injured because of the points in the bank more than Gorn would make up for it. Now, the price difference between Gordon and Darcy is not that big. Um, how many points, really, if you had to put a number on it, would you think is you know worth a trade? Well, it also depends when he goes down, doesn't it? If it's in the first yeah. five minutes, and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think he can put 10 on him. I think he can definitely put at least 10 on him and maybe even 15. So... Um, so Darcy's going 130, 135. 130, like he could, he could push that, honestly. He could honestly push yep. that. Um, so how many points total? Would you have to get 100 points out of that trade or 150 points? You know, 15. So that would be like eight to a couple of months. Yeah, something like that. So at least probably 10 to 12 weeks you'd have to get out of Darcy. So, yeah. It's, I mean, you're getting risk. cash as well. You're getting like you're ending up 100K or more ahead, I think, as well, if he's out averaging him by 15. Yeah, it yeah. depends when he gets this, injured, though. I guess that's this, this is obviously yeah, best-case yeah, yeah. scenario as well. He could, uh, you know, he could easily not out-average Gorn. Yeah, yeah, no, it's in play. It's definitely in play. Seems like you have to have him for at least half the season yeah. out-averaging Gorn yep. by at least 10 points to break even on the trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you're probably about right there. Yeah, yeah, Jeez, you would have to would have to make the buys, and that's that's what we've seen in previous years, right? Where if you are forced to do a ruck trade during the buys, it doesn't seem to hurt as badly. Yeah, I mean, you might get a 180 captain score made out of him as well. Yeah, it feels so good. It feels great. The one other thing with Darcy, and like I know looking at fixture isn't normally the best thing, but I'm sure you guys have also noticed that Freo's fixture up to the yeah. buys is so yeah, soft. It's, it's, it's one of the yeah, easiest in the league. The yeah. And I know that rucks don't always necessarily correlate one-to-one with um, like ease of schedule because they could be facing good rucks still. But I think that is um, a, another positive for Darcy, which makes you believe that he could end up with that, you know, 10 point a game more um, scoring um, over Gorn over that first, I mean, you know, Gorn's fixtures weeks. before the buy um, also very soft. So you're, yeah, it's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, yeah, yeah. These these buy structures pretty. That's good. Why I'm on yeah, the so dawn, boys? That's why I'm on the dawn. <laughs> no, no, oh no way. No I mean, way. I, yeah, the Grundy <laughs> not picking Grundy makes little sense to me. I think I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was like he had like a sixty game like rolling average of like 125 average. Yeah, I was yeah. like, "Geez, that's just no, too no, many I, points." I, I didn't expect you to be to be on board with it at all. Yeah, <laughs> Can, I, I'll no, ask, I'll ask you one more thing. Points. I'm not even sure I am. <laughs> uh, I'll shoot one thing that um though I, I like to think about is in terms of reliability of outcome. I think most people would say that even with Jackson getting better this year and taking some of the hitouts from Gorn, we're probably sleeping easier at night having gone in our side knowing he it's really unlikely that he falls off a cliff this year 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess the the reliability of what we're going to get from Sean Darcy is something that has to be um, within your tolerances. I think people are, again, seeing the upside of what Darcy could do and average 135. But again, we haven't seen it yet. So um, the the we're just it's it is a bit of a guessing game. Yeah, for, yeah, for fifteen, for fifteen k. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm I, taking way too many risks in my side for me to take Darcy on as well. Like the Gorn yeah. and Grundy sleep at night factor is high, and then you've got yeah. mid price of forward line, the Rowell and Chapman. I'm like, oh my god, it's like way too many risks. I could I couldn't pile on another one. Like I'm already at my limit or over my limit. Yeah. Yeah, and I think totally like, we we wouldn't begrudge anyone for picking um, Gone in this spot over Darcy. I think the poll between the three was relatively close; like it was only just ahead. And I think putting Darcy in here creates some good discussion. Um, and yeah. I guess like the only other thing I would say on the risk tolerance stuff, and this is probably a separate conversation on like portfolio risk, uh, like overall. Yep. But I think when you're thinking about like, uh, it depends on finance backgrounds. I kind of don't want to go into this too much. But when you're looking at like efficient frontiers for um, portfolio risk and like standard deviation of results on return and all this type of stuff, I think if you're taking lots of small risk with upside, it's good. But having a safe team with a couple of really high risk players is bad. And so when I look at our team's there are a lots of risk, but I see them as relatively small risk with lots of upside. And that's why I'm kind of happy to keep adding on um like so i think darcy is a small risk with a high upside and it kind of um continues to like have a overall portfolio uh risk tolerance to reward that i'm happy with but i also totally get if people are going to be more risk averse and want gone like i think that's fine mm. yeah i think that's a great way to say it mm-hmm. sure Let's take us through the the forward line cheese of our team no, no, no. I mean, I, is this not an identical forward line? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> oh, wait. Uh, I've got my forward line up because I was messing with my team. Oh, it is. Uh, yeah, so, glad, forward line. glad to have you with us, Chizo. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I, I told you, I'm using this as an education session. Uh, we've got Dunkley, Butters, Cornelio, McGovern, Sherry, and Rochelle in on the field with Durden and Nick Martin on the bench in both of our teams. I was clearly not consulted about that because that's not my forward line. But, um, guys, uh, I'll, 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 I'll let you go through and uh, explain sort of the, uh, the thought process behind these. I'll start with you, JD. I mean, uh, Dunkley and Butters, do we actually need to talk about And even Cogs, no. do we need, really need to talk about these three? No, no. skip it. Nope. Nope. Okay. And then I guess like the interesting dis- discussion is of those um, cheaper mid-price forwards that aren't Cogs, how you have them rated and which ones you yep. can fit in. So McGovern, mm-hmm. Cherry, Brody, Ralph Smith, Kerno, I guess as well, if you kind of want to include him. And then I think the conversation, which I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on is, how do you have them ranked? And then how many do you think is the appropriate amount to have on your side? I think they're all rank, but I don't really like mid-prices. Um, <laughs> uh, um, Pistol, you had the uh, the, the mid-pricer lowdown uh, today, so I think you've got the the, the best grasp of uh, your, your thoughts based on these. Um, and you had Mitch McGovern at the, the, the first in terms of forward mid-prices. Why was that? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, not including Cornelio, obviously, but uh, McGovern, I think you you get that added bonus of that DPP at the end of round six as well, which is nice, as well as his role 
really lends to like a consistent floor. Um, I think he's just going to make money. It might be a slow burn. We might need to hold him for a while, but at the end of the day, mm. that feels solid as well as you know being able to flick him back after round six um, when we might be struggling a little bit with the rookies on you know TBD. I feel like that's just a nice feeling. So that one feels like a much safer selection than some of the other mid prices. Will Brody and uh, Sherry, I think a lot of people only have space for one of these guys in their side. It's an interesting conversation because I do feel like the um, risk-reward scenarios are actually not too dissimilar. Brody, in my opinion, if he plays in the midfield, he scores well. I mean, he's always pretty much scored well when he plays in the midfield. Fremantle are either going to play him in the midfield or he's not going to be best 22. Pretty much as simple as that. Um, and he, we've seen him put out back-to-back tons. So if he gets the right role, he's probably going to keep scoring well. So I'm trying really hard not to overthink this pick because I know there's job security issues. But if he's putting out tons on a consistent basis, I mean, we're talking somebody at 224K forward that can put out tons. I mean, that's pretty rare. And then you've got Sherry whose role, I mean, we think he's going to be the number one ruck. I think we're all probably somewhat aligned on that. But yep. it's if he's going to be 50-50 ruck split, is he going to have 60-40? And if it's 50-50, what's his upside? Can he average you know 90 plus with a 50-50? Might be a bit unlikely. I think he's very likely to average you know 75 plus and definitely make you 150k. Um, but then again, you're comparing him directly to Brody, who's pumping out tons at this price. So. There's a little bit of, and it's not like Sherry doesn't have job security issues in himself. I mean, probably playing Larky and then two of CCJ and Sherry and Goldstein. So there's risks there as well. So I'm kind of more interested, and I'm ignoring everyone else because all the others are like, I think we're probably all on the same page that they're just worse. Um, I more want to hear what Eno and JD have got to say about the Brody versus Sherry conundrum because you know, more opinions, I think, will be very helpful on this one. Well, the thing with these guys is, and I know it's getting a bit technical, but it's definitely something to think about, is that obviously Gov has to be locked in on Thursday, and we don't know the full benches or the, you know, the the correct bench for the Sunday games, with both, which, sorry, which both Cherry and Brody are in. So if they're... I mean, I think if Cherry gets named, he'll be getting named... Um, on field as the ruck, but Brody might be, uh, it seems to me he'll be like an extended bench name and it'll really throw up some conundrums. Cause obviously you can't, if you lock in McGovern and, and your structure only allows for two, then you're going to have to take a pick between Cherry and Brody. So um, as far as their, you know, their overall outlook as picks, I'm definitely on board with Cherry more than Brody. And, and obviously it is role dependent, but everything that's been said and, and even Noble, I believe was on their CN a couple of days ago and he's, talking about Goldie as a forward, saying he, what he brings to the forward line, you know, it, it gives Larky and, and Zerha and, and all that a, a, a different look because obviously the defence has to worry about Goldie and, you know, just just makes him think. And to me, that that definitely instates that, that Cherry will be selected as a ruck. But, um, yeah, we, we all know that, that a ruck position, even if it is 50-50, is, is very, very good for scoring. So I, I definitely have Cherry ahead of Brody, but... Um, yeah, Bro- JD probably has some more thoughts on Brody as a pick as he, he has done some research on him in the preseason. So I'll let him speak more on Brody, I think. I mean, does Brody not reek of Paddy Dow from last year? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the different pedigree um, probably comes to mind. I know Brody's put together a season 
well, not seasons, games um, of high scoring that Dow just hadn't had before in the past, as well as Brody in the kneeful um, has put together some absolutely killer scores in the season. So I think the pedigree is just a little bit different. And just before we jump in, I know the uh, Brody Sherry technicality on when they're names, if you're only picking one of them, because they're both Sunday games, you can kind of switch yep. between them as well. So it's not of course. not like you'll be caught out, well, for example. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 I won't be caught out, but you will just have to lock in Gov, of course. So you, you obviously can't yeah. go those two over Gov or something, but yeah. Yeah, so I think for me, like the cherry pick is easy if he's named as the the Ruck um, on field. I think he just becomes the obvious choice. If he's named anywhere else, I might lean Brody as long as Brody's actually named in the team and as well um, yeah I, I like the problems i worry about with Brody is that um he his running is not great and that's what the preseason reports have been he's finishing at the back of the pack along with darcy um and the the quote i always like go back to for Brody is that he was meant to like he was built to crash packs not spread them and i just worry about that in Fremantle's midfield where they already have Brayshaw who's a relatively lower time on ground mid you have potentially like Fife and Mundy going through there as well who aren't exactly um Quick. fast spreaders of the contest and it just feels like Will Brody is another one in their type of mold that they probably don't need extra of in that side and that's the part that worries me about you know, even if he's named round one, how long is he going to be in there? Does he get enough CBAs? Is he spending too much time on the bench? I think you're spot on that if he is named on ball and plays on ball, he's going to score well. I'm just really sketched out by the likelihood that that happens. And that's what gives me the the Paddy Dow vibes from last year because people thought that was going to happen. He then ended up spending a lot of time forward and looking awful playing just football generally as well. Um, and yeah, so the, I think that's my hesitancy on Brody as a pick. Um, and it's it's one of those ones where I think just starting two of McGovern, Cherry, and Brody feels right to me because then whichever one doesn't work, you can kind of jump off and make sure you've got the other two because uh, I just think it's unlikely that all three work out. There is a world where all three work out. How would you mm. – like would you take – let's say I'm taking Brody. Well, then it bec- would become a conversation between Rochelle and Sherry. Would you be – could you not take Shell in that case? And which, could you take all three of them? Obviously, you have to find, what, 15 or 20, 20K. I think you can. Uh, look, Rochelle has impressed us in the preseason, but but the nature of the role and the team he plays for doesn't necessarily <laughs> bank that he's going to kick three goals and average 85. So um, he can definitely throw up some poor scores. And that he's also elevated price, like a Gibkus we were talking about in defense. There's every chance he's a very, very average to not grade at all rookie for us. So I could see starting all three. Obviously, you need to find a little bit more cash. But, yeah, I totally – I think it's plausible. Do you think he's in more teams than he should? I think Rochelle's in like in 60%, heaps, 60% yeah. sides. Yeah, maybe. But how many, how I mean, many other rookies have their coach come <laughs> out and said he's in our best 22, clearly? <laughs> no, I, look, I get it. None. The job security is absolutely <laughs> rock solid. But if we, you're comparing – potentially Brody banging out tons if he's got the right role and Sherry is number one ruck in the right role, probably putting out 80s and 90s that Michelle is just not going to do. So There's one of those three that we know will play round one. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and at no, neither I mean, of the mid prices. job security there, right? But if I'm not taking, yeah. if I'm taking Gorn and not Darcy and I've got that yeah. little bit of risk tolerance there, <laughs> is that something yeah. I could be looking at instead? How dare you use my own logic against me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, oh, you're I think right. It's interesting. Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, I, I think it's fun. Can, can I just challenge you on McGovern? 
You can. Yeah, you can totally. I, you I, can do whatever I, you want. I, I, he wouldn't be my number one for a number of reasons. Um, firstly, with Doherty back, those juicy kick-ins that people were saying he was getting in the preseason, he won't be. Um, fair, got, fair call, fair call. He turned over both got, of his, so I think he would have yeah, lost yeah. it anyway. He Without Doherty, he, was, he wasn't going to get it. He lowered so, his score by taking correct me if <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, he's playing as an intercepting defender mostly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Third, yeah. third defender. Yeah. How, how often did he play that in his career up until that point, this point? <laughs> I mean, he's played zero AFL games in that role. Yeah. So he's got injury risk. He's got role risk. He's going to lose some of the benefits that he had in the preseason. He's also 40K more expensive than the other guys that we're talking about. And we've got a really long history of him never averaging 70. So yeah, well, yeah not a, not in this throw role. Throw out the role and the score straight off the bat. Well, you can't can't discount if someone moves into the midfield. You go, oh, I can't pick them because I haven't played midfield before. It's a crap argument. You've got the role, yeah, brand I mean, new I, yeah. role that comes with scoring increase. I mean, you can throw both those arguments straight as quickly as you add it to the conversation. You can take it out of the conversation. I mean, his pedigree, yeah. his brother, like he's got the pedigree in the family, and then we've <laughs> seen so many failed forwards go back and be good intercepting or like third tall defenders. I mean, that's who, that's who he's replacing. <laughs> like Liam Jones is like that exact thing. Um, the success so, of someone else doing something is not evidence for him being able to do it. I, it they are complete. They are independent events. So it's uh, what I'm sa- what I'm saying, saying is that, that Govan will succeed because others have done it in the past. I'm saying that because what others saying. have done it in the past, there is a like we have seen at least the path that forwards can transition to successful intercepting defenders. That's right. And was and Liam Jones a successful super coach pick? He was he. He was a he was a good mid pricer of a forward line, and then went back and became a successful super coach selection. That, that sounds like what you're saying. You're like, <laughs> absolutely testing my knowledge on Liam Jones, like super coach scoring, because <laughs> not something I was 70s. prepared for tonight. It, personally, from my point of view, if McGovern gets the the role we want, Brody gets the role we want, Sherry gets the role we want. He's third on that list of players that I want in my side. So the reason he's what he's number one is because we're slightly more confident than the other two that he's going to have a decent role. I don't see him going greater. If I'm being conservative, I I genuinely do not see him exceeding 75 average this year. I'm not I, I'm not interested in paying 260k for that. I, I'll, I'll more than happily take a 200k sherry. And take a punt that he averaged sixty to make the same cash. I think this comes back to Eno's argument a little bit, though, which is that if you don't take McGovern, then you're relying on um, both Cherry and Brody being named in the position that you want them for, and it's hard to know if that's the case with the extended Sunday benches. And then you can't reverse yeah. once you figure that out. That it's going to be want, a frantic hour on the Thursday, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. If you want two of them, that would be correct. If you only want one of them, then that doesn't. You can pick How the you one. How you feeling forward line if you're taking one of them? I've seen people with another primo, or you know, <laughs> some. Yeah, I think George's got Isaac Heaney, so maybe that's it. <laughs> oh, let's not let's not go there. Let's oh, not go there. Oh, sorry, I brought it let's up. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. But which line would you say that you guys have the the most rookies that you think will play midfield? midfield. Yeah, pretty easily. Not even close. So, Look, w- so is there an argument? And M11. 
is is there an argument to be made to take less of a risk in the forward line on two or even three of these guys that could be something or could be completely nothing and just waste our time than play someone like Dylan Stevens at M8 and McDonald at M9 have the ability to not have to have this discussion of having two or three of these guys in our forward line. There is, well, but then... The, the you you premiums up forward also have yeah. inherent risk that other lines don't have. There's less risk in the premiums in the back line than there are in the forward lines, for example. So it's, it's you don't get off scot-free either doing that transaction. No, not at all. But uh, th- let me present the idea of taking someone like a Dusty who is probably safely going to give us 95 is a lower risk selection than having Ward and Stevens on your bench and then having Cornelio, McGovern, Sherry and Brody with Rochelle at M at F7. Man, like if I'd, put if I'd, in the if hospital I'd... and drop 15 kilos and you're talking about him being low risk, come on, dude. <laughs> come on, Chizo, come on. In a rich yeah, side, that's like getting Dusty. worse. They're not getting <laughs> better, by the way. Like that is that is someone you have to wait and see on. You can't start Dusty. There's no way. I mean, they're predicted to do better, but uh, I don't have them in my eight. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, mate. Don't try, don't worry, mate. Everyone, everyone's off the Tigers bandwagon, which is probably fair enough after the, the last year. But yeah. yeah, no, I probably even agree. I wouldn't be starting. I wouldn't be starting Dusty Cheeso. But, I'd, but I'd that, that, that's the straw man. You, yeah. you can't take a straw yeah. man to this. I, what what yeah. I'm asking you is: is there not the argument to be made for someone with exposed form that you can reliably say, "I'm not going to get forties from this dude," if you don't have the risk appetite to have McGovern, Sherry, and Brody on the field. I think yeah. like I'm I'm far, I'm far more confident to have Ward and Stevens on field in my midfield and go lighter in there to fill out the other sides that have terrible rookies. Hmm. Oh, yeah, no. so that, that, that's just me. That, that again, it comes yeah, back so to risk, risk profile. Fair, but then you you're gonna have to cut what Barry or Rao or another one of the primos in the midfield. Big dogs, big dogs. Yep. And Barry and Rao are probably better options than any of the rookies that we have in the midfield, apart from maybe Dacos. Yeah, they're also better than the the mid-prices we're talking about in the forward line. So if you can use the cash from McGovern to get another rookie or uh, uh, use that cash to get um, someone up to Rao, like... Yeah, I- I think we're not going to be able to agree on this point because your rating of McGovern is so far below the other three of us that you're always going to end up in the boat of I'll do anything to turn him into someone else, which I think is fair if you really don't rate McGovern as an option. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I I have McGovern in my side. I'm not saying that he's not a bad option, that he doesn't have have answers. No, what it's, it's I'm a good, trying it's to good, argue. It's a good question. What I'm to trying raise, to argue though, makes you think What, about what it. I'm trying to argue is that we shouldn't like the the issue is not which one of them is going to be the best. It's how do we mitigate the risk of having two or three of them? Because as as someone said at the top, if we've got Barry, we've got Chapman, we've got McGovern, we've got Sherry, we've got Canelio, and whoever else, and I'm forgetting. Guess how many oh. of those are going to succeed? Maybe two. What, what, that's, what do you mean that's, by not, that's not that's that's not that's that's not not waste our time and make us eighty k or get injured. 
they're, they're, they're this cheap for a reason, and there's a reason why people want to go guns and rookies. So it, it shouldn't just be a formality that we've got to have all of them, which is what I'm arguing for. I'm arguing for the opposite argument that if we can reduce the amount of these guys we're forced to pick and be in a scenario where, oh, well, I've got to lock in McGovern because I don't know whether the other two are going to play, <laughs> if that's something that concerns you, try and restructure it in a way where you're not forced into that situation. Can, can I ask you a different question then, Chizo? So yeah. um, apart from Rochelle, are there any rookies, um, like uh, we obviously talked about Durden, Martin, Dixon, but we haven't mentioned like McKenty, which I don't know if that's even how you pronounce his name, or like Hayes or anyone else. Are there any of those that you would put at F6? No. No, R- yeah, so- Rochelle would be the, the, the F6 rookie for me. And I think that's the conundrum in the forward line, which is you have to fill it out. And so we've done it by putting in three of the mid-prices. You're arguing that maybe you should, should be three primos and two mid-prices. I'm arguing that uh, you're, you're including Cornelio as the two. Yeah. yeah. As as yeah. one of the three. Yeah, so for you it would be Cogs and one of McGovern, Cherry, Ralph Smith, whoever. Yeah, I'm just presenting that as an option. My risk tolerance when I make my starting squad is is not the same appetite as what I'm seeing in templates on Twitter and Slack and probably in Discord based on these templates. I'm not using those templates. And yeah, what, as one a, top you 10 know, finish my, and he's desperate to hang on. This is Golem <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's the... It's the same strategy I've always used. And as JB says, rookies forge our sides. And if we don't have the rookies, we're going to be forced to make decisions that we don't want to. But, you know, if if you've got Chapman at D5, suddenly you've got DeConning or McCartan in your forward line. Um, if you've got Hayes at R3, you've got Dixon in there, you've got Durden that's going to play, Baldwin's going to play, Martin might play. Like we are going to find two bench rookies just like we have every other year. They may not be of the same quality, but we will find two playing bench rookies. It's as simple as that. I I, I find it very hard to believe that we will go into this season with one or two donuts on our forward or our bench lines. I just, I don't see it happening. And for that reason, I'm not, subscribing to the idea that we need to be dunkly four mid prices and a rookie on field that that's just my personal opinion i'm you know i i don't it's just my opinion that's all it is you know (laughs) i I can't predict the future but i think i think it's silly that we're just like we've got to lock these two play we've got to choose two of these three and i'm like i'm doing everything i can to not pick one of these guys (laughs) and that's just that's just the position i'm coming from no, I think you're right. We've spoken about mid prices tonight than more than I have the last five years, and it's it's not pretty. But <laughs> um, it's just what's what's. No, been I like I up, like but... I like the thought process, and like in terms of questioning our own thinking and coming out from a different angle. I think it's important to have the conversation and then just see where you sit in it. I mean, for me, I can hear Cheese's argument and can see where he's coming from, and I think it does make a lot of sense. Like I, I obviously know Cheese and know how he's played the game the last couple of years, and he's like the least amount of risk possible. Yeah. Um, so I can see totally like why he would feel really uncomfortable with those types of selections. So um, yeah, it make, makes sense to him. I mean, for me, I, I think like outside injury risk, which is an actual risk that we do have to consider with McGovern that we probably gloss over more than we probably should. Um, you know, I, I see it 70 is his worst case, I guess. 
um, just because of interceptor role is it's it's not like he's a second defender and he's like kind of what mm. Paddy McCartan's doing where he's playing lockdown but also kind of intercepting. He's like whole role is about intercepting. Um, and mm. for me, that feels like that 70 is that floor and the 70 still gets you to the, the 120K mark. Plus there's the upside there as well to in that role. He doesn't need to average 75. I think that's the thing is he needs to have one game to spike his yep. cash gen. Yeah. And I feel in like he's average. got a 120 plus game in him and yeah. he could average 65 for all I care. As long as he puts out three good scores in a row <laughs> and makes me the money, then that's literally all I care about. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it also comes down to that we're all we've all got our own biases and we're we've all, we're all fallible, and the reason that it sounds like I'm contradicting myself and saying he's a bad pick but still having him on my side is because I'm conscious of the fact that there are people better at this game that I am, and I'm not trying to pretend that I know everything. And the fact that I've got so many smart people around me that've played this game for so long that really like him is. I'm trying to counteract my own biases and say, well, why don't I like him? What why what are my thought processes to that? And the fact that particularly, you know, Pistol, you're so hot on him and you've watched the preseason games over and over again, there becomes like an element of trust in that that I know sometimes, you know, people know more than what I do. And I think um I've sort of backed myself into a corner going really strong on him, but I think that's that's me trying to talk dig myself out of a hole. <laughs> I trust him. I think there's two two things picked up on. Um, so, like, one, the talk about bias is really interesting because I do think we could be um, falling victim to recency bias, especially in our forward lines. So mm. prior to last year, we'd never had so many mid-prices work out in a forward line. And then last year we had, mm. uh, what, MP, uh, Danaher, Zeebel, and then, like, even Hall to an extent later on in the year. And so now mm. we're going, like, oh, Early we can year. pick, like, three or four and, like, <laughs> this this will work out again. But really that's never happened before last year. And yeah. so it was like, was last year the exception to the rule or is this like the new norm that we can kind of yeah. expect? Or should That's be a great for? question. Like, yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing on McGovern, I guess, like to back you up with the like reason to be put off is in the preseason games, intercept, like the ball just gets bombed into forward 50 about two times, two and a half times more than what you'd see in regular season games. And so for someone like McGovern who might have, I think peeled off like five or six intercept marks, something like that. You're probably not going to get that much opportunity um, during the regular season, so you wouldn't expect him to score that much. But I mean, his scoring was ridiculous, like what one twelve or three quarters. quarters. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. like it was nuts. So I mean, the but I think like Pistol's right. Like you, he's not going to be a premium for us. He's not even going to average. I think like eighty five. But you just need that one really big intercept defending game, and you're good. And I think the other thing that we talk a lot about with risk, but we kind of overlook when it comes to injury risk, is that that risk is less for mid-prices because you don't need them to play 23 games. You need them to play like mm. one-third of that well and then they're out of your teams. Yeah. Um, and so that's one thing. That like we compare risk for like premiums and mid-prices sometimes the same, but really they're actually different because you're evaluating them over different lengths of time. Yeah, it's a time-specific risk that also comes into the price the more expensive they are the longer you need to hold them for them to appreciate that amount so um i guess that sort of leans into the point that i'm saying he's more expensive than these other guys because if you know if sherry loses number one ruck roll the chances are by the time that happens he's already made us enough cash whereas if mcgovern's role changes slightly he's probably only made us 80k up until that point i think that's sort of what i was getting at but explained it I love these conversations. This, this is this is my favorite part of doing podcasts like this with yeah, with yeah. new brains to just kind of break it down from different it's angles. Necessary. I love it. It's definitely necessary. 
I think an, an interesting thing about last year, um, I know, JD, you said, you know, did we get lucky or what was it that last year there were so many successful picks? If I'm going to add, I guess, Hind into that basket or, or mm, Atkinson mm. half in the basket, half Dale out of the basket, well. I think it's pretty clear, though, looking at it as a whole, we've seen almost all of those picks outside of Danaher, it's they move to the back line, right? Like every successful pick played as a backman. Now, if we look at the averages this season of the backmen and of the forwards, the backman scores are really good and the forwards mm. are not very good. And I think it might just be more with the way, I guess, the game is currently being played. It lends itself to defenders just scoring better than forwards, in which case I think this was a couple of years ago now where the Ruckmans were just outscoring the midfielders and all we tried to do is stuff as many Ruckmen as we could in our teams. And it kind of feels somewhat as similar and I'm going to just try and fill my team with Ruckman and defenders um, <laughs> in those mid-prices spots or try and pick out breakouts. You can have Blitzars if you want. He's, he's a Ruck and defender depending <laughs> on what week it's it is. Both... Wasn't he a Ruck mid one year? <laughs> yeah. He was. Yeah. Like the only one in history. <laughs> so we've just got, yeah, I think um, maybe it's a changing of the guard and defenders are just now scoring more than they've ever scored before. And that's why these picks have suddenly become a bit more successful. So I kind of feel even a little bit bit better knowing that he's a defender. Um, whereas there might be, you know, Sherry's obviously a ruck, which is another good position, mm -hmm. which does yeah. then lend itself to thinking, hey, maybe Brody is the worst option just naturally because of the, the role that he plays. But midfield's always a good scoring option. So it's not, a, I think that's it's not a fair one comparison. Of the yeah, I think it's one of the things the super coach community's got a lot better over the last three years, which is identifying why players break out. And it used to be a lot of people trying to pick like second and third year breakouts. And that was a thing you'd hear people going after, especially like after Oliver did it, for example. <laughs> yeah. Um, and people were like trying to find what that lightning in the bottle was. But really Unicorn. it is around it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really is around um identifying those that are having role changes into positions that are super coach friendly. And that seems to be what's been the thing that's been discovered the last couple of years and that people are getting much better at doing. So I think we will see more of this. I like, I do think it's the start of a new trend, but it is interesting to like consider like, yeah, it was last year one-off or, or is this something we're going to see more of going forward? I think we should pop up the uh, Dr. Supercoach template if we've got yeah, it here. We should move we're, on. <laughs> we're, we're, we're running <laughs> a bit long. Well, well, well we've done most of the break long. We, we didn't, we didn't have a like timeline in. Well, I mean, no, I guess no, we can just compare not. differences now. Really, long format pods are my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I think the big thing down back. I mean, there's a clear change here, so I'm just going to read it out uh, for those listening at home. We've got Lloyd, Crisp, Short, Whitfield, Chapman, D5, McCartan, Gibkiss on the bench, DeConing. I think. Uh, I mean, I've obviously spoken up. <laughs> For me, it's Hinge, <laughs> not not Gibkiss, but mm -hmm. I think this is a reflex, you know, overall template. Um, the big one here is the two premium defenders. It comes mm. at the cost of, you know, lighter in the midfield. And I'm interested. I noticed that you guys in the template had Ridley at D1. Is there a reason why all of Rich, Stewart, Chris, Lloyd have been, I guess, neglected? Oh, that's a lot to run through. So I can run through well, like bits and pieces we don't like about all of them I, and maybe talk to some of the upside of Ridley as well. Um, uh, where, where where do you want to start? <laughs> I would love to know, I assume when you've got the downsides of all of those players, 
there'll be some positives as well, but I'd love to hear them. <laughs> I think like for a lot of them, especially with that structure, you tied on cash. So you are trying to find value in the back line. And I think the reason why that template avoids Lloyd, Crisp, Rich and Stuart is because there isn't much meat on the bone. You're paying for what you get for a lot of them. Now, some may argue that there is upside on some of those. It's just, I think through our evaluation, there's probably a few points at best for some of them. Um, but I think it's unlikely. So Lloyd, for example, obviously he scored much higher in the past, but um, the second last half of last year, he averaged 106 with 70% kick-ins and Dawson out of the back line. So people saying that mm -hmm. Dawson leaving all of a sudden means more points for Lloyd. Not sure that really comes true. And if that's the case, then really he's kind of priced at fair value or even a little bit overs at the moment. Yeah. Crisp is someone that we've seen um, who's ultra durable. That's obviously his upside. Oh, sorry, not his upside, but he's superpower, a bit like Lloyd, who's also been super durable. Uh, but we haven't really seen him score higher with more CBAs. He hasn't really scaled like that in the past. That's not to say he can't do it in the future, but it just seems like, once again, you're kind of paying for what you get with him as a pick. So there's not much value there. Uh, Rich, I think, could actually have some upside just because the person that was going to take some of the kick-ins from him in Coleman or like replace Birchall's kick-ins um, yeah. is no longer there. So you could see him go from kind of 70% kick-ins kick, in, uh, kick in the back half of last year up to 75, 80% maybe. And so he gets an extra kick or two a game, but he's older over 31 who we generally, uh, he's 31 who we, you know, generally trying to avoid, uh, avoid players over 30 and he does have some injury history. So I think that's the downside risk of Rich. And then um, Stuart, yes, I'm coming off the Liz Frank, which has been a career ender for other players before, is someone that I will avoid. If he hadn't been injured coming into the preseason, he would easily be the pick of the bunch for mine. Mm. So I guess what's difficult is I think uh, uh, like Lloyd and Chris will be right up around the top six. And I think if everything goes right for Rich and Stuart, they could be as well. And it is scary avoiding all of them. Uh, but there's just uh, at the same time no value, and I think some of the other defenders can get close for forty, fifty k cheaper. Yeah, it's like so. It sounds like that you guys really value um, picking players that have some upside, as opposed to you're kind of just getting what you pay for in the terms of like Lloyd and Crisp. Yeah, I, you obviously can't do that throughout the whole team with Super Coach. It's just not possible, mm. um, especially when you look at the, the midfielders. You are hoping that you get what you pay for um, when you're forking out 700K. But with the structure that we ran, you're quite tight on cash. And defense was one of those areas where it felt like you could get away, you know, paying 40, 50K less for a Ridley than maybe some of these other guys and still end up with a score that's close. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that that's a really good point to make because I was on Ridley early on in the preseason until we did the triple D on him in that he had 84% of kick-ins over the first month when he averaged 133. We knew he was going to get the lion's share, but we, at, at no point did we predict it to be that high. After he got concussed, he averaged, I think, 42% for the remainder of the year and both Heppel and Redman um, split the the, mm -hmm. the extra 40% that he didn't get. Now, we saw in the, the first preseason game, I want to say he had three of eight. And then in the second preseason game, I think he had like six of 10 or something like that that he was there for. So the the after he lost those kick-ins for the remainder of the year, he averaged low 90s. And that's the only reason, you know, that was over like a 16-game stretch or something ridiculous like that. So it's not unreasonable to 
suspect that he does have some genuine upside and there's some uh, this chance for natural progression and growth. I think the reason that I took him out of my starting squad was because I'm trying to be a little bit more realistic in that he's probably got upside of like 105 if everything goes well and he's probably going to only appreciate three or four more points than what he is. And so if I'm going to pick someone that's going to basically give me what I'm paying for, I'd rather have someone that has long-term history of doing it. And so that's sort of my thinking where I, I grapple with um, picking someone like Chris, for example, because I'm fairly, uh, or Lloyd or anyone like that, Stuart, Rich, whatever, is that I can be pretty confident that I'm going to get what I pay for. Um, and if I don't have the money, that's not to say I wouldn't go Ridley, but that's just sort of how I've rationalized picking someone like Lloyd over Ridley. Yeah, and it's um, been quite because he knows I'm about to go on a Ridley rampage right about now, just <laughs> reeling off some facts. So I'm going to give you the upside case for Ridley. So um, firstly, like the first preseason game, um, yeah, it was, I think, two of seven, and he was going to take the third of eighth, but halftime sounded and so he didn't get the kick. Um, yeah. But he was off for nine minutes of the first quarter, and that's when basically most of the kick-ins, apart from two from Redmond in the second quarter, were, were taken that he wasn't involved mm. with. It doesn't make any sense why he was off for so long in the first quarter. I've got no explanation for what went on there. Yeah, uh, he's normally like high time <laughs> on ground. So I think they were just playing around with stuff um, mm. in defense. And um, yeah, and then in the the second preseason game, you're right. I think he took five of nine. Um, so yeah, spot on there, like uh, above 50%, which was more than he um, had in the second half of the year. And in the second half of the year, I think I had him averaging 97 from round seven onwards. Yep. Um, and so I think like the upside here for him is really that he was playing like career games, um, like 31 to 48. I think he's on now. He's age 22. So he's got um, upside both in terms of hitting that um, age profile, like, you know, getting a year older, mm. his age is important, but also then going towards that 70 game mark, which is where players um, tend to hit their peak or they really get those straps going. You see a lot of super coach improvement during that um, uh period as well uh, and then Essendon obviously went and recruited Kelly in the offseason to free him up and be able to play more of that interceptor role now I went back and looked at some of the tape on games after he was concussed last year so uh, my cheat version of this was looking at the first and third quarter of games fast forwarding 15 seconds on KO to find who he was matched up on and basically <laughs> in all six of the games I looked at before I got tired because it was way too time consuming and I do have a real job I promise. Um, he was he was doing one-on-one -on -one lockdown roles, and that's where you saw a lot of the poor scoring. Like he's taking Green, mm. he's taking Papley, he's taking Liam Ryan, and so even in the first preseason, sorry, there's the Amy game we saw this year without Kelly in the side, they were letting him sag off and play that interceptor role, and I didn't see a lot of that from him in the second half, and so that's where I think his upside comes from. I'm yeah. fairly sure he gets to 105 with upside on top of that, which is what excites me. And I'm also a bomber nuffy for those that don't know. So um, like, Guilty. I guess take it with a grain of salt, but <laughs> um, yeah, like that's, that's why I'm so bullish on Ridley compared to maybe some of these others. I do see the value there. Yeah. I got, I, I got some questions yeah. though, before I get to in the weeds with Ridley, um, just for the group <laughs> as a whole, just so I think the four defenders I'm going to talk about, Rich, Stewart, Lloyd, Crisp, uh, they cleared the other defenders by five points um, per game last season that are available as defenders this year. Um, how many How many of you guys had Rich in your team last year? None. Nope. Okay, cool. What yeah. about Crisp? Nope. Right. None. So <laughs> how many had Lloyd? 
I had yes. him. Yep. So all, everyone? Yep. Yep. And did mm-hmm. anyone not start him? Okay, so yep. everyone started him. And what about Stuart? Brought him in during the year. I'm yeah, going back to check my team now. I don't remember. <laughs> I think I had him late I, I, as well. I don't think I, I had him late. Him. Yeah, I don't think I had him. So from the four... Oh, no, best... I did have him. Yeah, no, I had Stuart, yep. Did you bring him in or did you start with him? No, I brought him in. Did definitely didn't start him. So basically, from the these four best defenders, only one of them was brought in the side if you didn't start him. So I guess my fear is for these types of... During the year, I'm totally happy to pay for these expensive midfielders and bring in the expensive midfielders, and that's something that we've done in the past. You kind of you pay for what you get. These defenders that kind of hover, the consistent ones that hover at 550k, we always get these value defenders instead that are like 470, 480, and they're the ones that we kind of bring in instead. The top end ones who are consistent, we typically mm. can't afford and we fade. And for me, I'd rather start them knowing that they're going to finish in the top six of their line and I'll be able to you know, bring in the cheaper ones throughout the season. It's just one less stress. And I feel like at the end of the day, it's going to increase my team scoring potential because round 22 comes around and I've got you know, a Lloyd and a Crisp or a Stewart and a Crisp or whoever I start and you know, short's my D3. And if you've got sh- short your D1, it all adds up at the end. I mean, it's not like I'm going to get through the year without steel. Like I'm going to bring him in, um, especially with these trade boosts as well. There's... I think it might be a little bit easier to grab the midfielders. And I don't know about you guys, but spending a trade boost to try and grab like a defender, it's not like hot on my list of priorities. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's fair. You're also like missing probably the two that were the most important to own last year, which was Laird and Mills, um, yeah. which both aren't yeah, yeah. obviously anymore. Yeah. Did you guys yeah. get Mills? Uh, I had I Mills. did, yeah. yeah. I faded him. <laughs> so I, I didn't get Mills either because it was too expensive. Um, I, and I couldn't get him. So it was another one. To, to this. I think yeah. we probably all would have started Laird, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we all started yeah. Laird. So we started these guys. So it's basically like if you – it's almost if you don't start them, you don't get them. Um, and, and it wasn't just last year. I actually went back through my last couple of teams and I seem to always miss um, some of the more expensive defenders throughout the seasons because I just don't start them. And a lot of the time um, – it's because you try and take shortcuts in other positions. You try and like nail your midfield and you, you get those, I guess, cheap mm. defenders. And the fear is here that typically you say, oh, well, my, my D6 won't hurt me that much because defenders are lower scoring positions. And if my D6 only averages 95 or it's a Stephen May and he's gone 92, it won't really hurt me that much because my, my D6, you know, at optimum is only going to average 100 and I'll lose whatever eight points per game. Defender scoring has been going up every year. Mm. And if my D6 mm. now averages 105 and your D6 averages 92, um, that's going to be a big, big difference throughout the season. Yeah. I guess the, the trade-off that I'm I'm seeing is more known commodities in the back line rather than all four premiums having value. Whitfield, Short, um, I forget what the other two were Ridley oh, and Hewitt. George, They're all yeah. value. They're all value, yep. but you've compensated yep. by getting steel in your in your midfield. So you're not having to Oliver's probably the big one that you're missing. So mm-hmm. you, you you're only chasing one guy. Whereas um in the back line, if you're keeping Hewitt, you've only got two spots for four of the and when Hall comes back and 
you know, there, there's probably six guys out of the, the top 10 that you've got to fit into two spots. Um, and is that compensatory for having an extra midfielder that you don't have to chase? And, yeah, you know, the, the ha- being able to chase the absolute best midfielders might get you more points long term. So I'm not I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing. I'm just that the, these are the two contrasts that I'm sort of seeing. Yeah. I think it's pretty clear what the the strangle is to, uh, between the templates. It's the the big yeah. dog M three, and then you know the surety up back um, that yeah. you guys have got with this with this template. Like obviously the forwards the exact same and rucks as well, but that that's the two differences really. So yeah. Um, yeah. should we go through the midfield? Wait, no, 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 no. <laughs> no We've got to talk no. about D five first uh, because oh, this D5. is an abomination. <laughs> right. So uh, Chapman. Yes. Um, I'm not. Go- this is uh, this is totally pistols bag because I I don't <laughs> subscribe to him at D5, but I will say Frio's got a good run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you didn't like that argument for Darcy, so let's hear it for Chapman. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm scraping for anything that I can to help my bloke out. <laughs> no, look, Chapman uh, for me is, I guess. It's got multiple prongs here of, of benefits. One is personally, again, another personal opinion. I don't want to Wrong start Kipkiss at all. Um, 50 average that Eno's put on him at that price, I feel like isn't Bit of a good enough value for a starting spot. It's taking up you know, a spot in oh, my team. No. And if he's <laughs> going to make 100K, which is what 50 average, I feel like Chapman can make 100K as well. And Chapman will score better and also has a higher chance of going well. So Chapman, um, for those that haven't really watched him play, he's he's got quite a good role for Fremantle in that back line. He's not a close checking defender. He does, he's, you know, one of the distributors, but not just that. The way Fremantle have been playing these two games, I know it's against West Coast, so the sample size is not fantastic. Um, they've been playing a lot of chip chip footy. So they had 139 marks um, last week. And that there was a lot of like sideways marks and how they use Chapman in that is he would be the guy that would, they would switch to. So that was a, a big benefit because it's better to be the guy that they switch to rather than the person doing the switch, because the person doing the switch obviously gets the mark and then kicks it sideways, which is worth less super coach points. than the person who takes the uncontested mark and then has the long effective kick down the line. Um, it was a role that they basically had on repeat in the first half of that game. I think he was, on 59 points at halftime and you'd seen the same play like five or six times in the first half um, before, you know, West Coast started putting some pressure on the second half and it it dried up a little bit, but um, he is going to be a breakout player at some stage. This might be a year too early completely. There is massive risk in the pick itself, Um, but I don't mind it. Because of the easy draw, the role is kind. I like the, the long-term injury uh, to Wilson, so his usage should be a bit higher. But more so, it buys time as well in that spot. It allows us to get to week six so that we can swing McGovern back, so we can hopefully swing Dacos back. It's a pick that's not going to lose. He's not going to drop in price. He will still gain money. I think personally he can match Gibkiss's money that he can make while scoring more points on field. And if that's the case... Mm. You know, round six comes around. He's one of my first guys that I'm upgrading to get him off the field um, and upgrading to a premium mid so I can, you know, catch back up with a premium mid and swing McGovern and and Dacos back there. So that's kind of the benefits that I see by having Chapman at D5. Would you be that hot on him if we actually had rookies? 
or is it is a, no. a, a, a relation <laughs> what's what, what's the word like a relationship of like coincidence or something like or um structure that's all it yeah, is, yeah, right? yeah like if, yeah. if coleman was here you'd pick you wouldn't even looked at chapman twice this preseason right yeah well, i actually didn't have i've never had coleman um i've been kind of anti-coleman <laughs> um <laughs> in, in the past I, I i had chapman here before coleman in this spot um, oh, more God, so God, yeah. oh this is an aaron hall thing oh, i had him in round five before no you can, had him. you can you can check check my team my slack whatever it is <laughs> I, I i didn't think coleman would have had the role that everyone predicted and actually in that first before i got injured people were not happy with his role and i was like that's what i thought anyway yeah. um the point is i wouldn't pick him if we had defender options because out of all the yeah. mid prices he's near the bottom for me i think he's better picked than like ralph smith and kerno but i think he's still worse than like mcgovern and cherry and brody um yeah. i think he's down there so it's not like i'm ecstatic about the pick but the other picks i do think come with a degree can come with a degree of great success i mean my success criteria for Chapman is not going to be 150K. It's going to be 100K and getting to round six and me avoiding all of Gipkis's bad scores that might end up on people's field depending on how um, their structure, mm. their side is. So I think, yeah, it's not it's not something I'm super happy with. I'm not going to lie. It's my, the, the point of my team that I am least happy with, but there's enough positives there that I think um, sometimes buying time isn't, a negative in Supercoach. All right. So can I um, check a hypothetical at you? Um, Sin gets named on the field round one. Um, yep. Do you drop Chapman to him or are you moving like a Hinge or a DeConning to Sin instead? So assuming all the other rookies are named, I probably am still fading Sin. Um, I think he needs to perform really well to hold his spot, but the quality that he would be pushing out of that Port Adelaide side, we've got Dersma. Um off the top of my head, this probably would be the one that would make way. I think that the risk is really high for Sin, and he could also be a sub-candidate, and that would kill his cast generation. So Sin's not really high on my list unless there was a long-term injury. Um, people say that he might play by Bonner, and Bonner's, Bonner's probably going to play at least like 14, 15 games for Port this year. So I just He's the kick-out really, taker too. I, I just don't really see... I, I would love a rookie to come in so that I could change up my structure. If there was someone better, like, I don't know, if Wilmot was guaranteed to play round two, then I would mm. consider that. But, yeah, from the options that we have when we're looking at Boyd and we're looking at Sin, I'm just like, oh, it's, uh, none, none of it is very appealing to me. I'd rather get to round six, do my switcheroos, get the players that I want down back on field, um, and then, yeah, go from there. Fair enough. Move on to the midfield. Yeah, well, midfield's the same a... thing as before. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about like Edwards and Blakey, but I won't do that too. It's a little bit no, off the beaten I'll path. Keep your personal research to yourself, JD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Blakey's price is a bit. T- if Blakey was the same price, I'd be taking Blakey over Chapman. Yeah, but he's not. Yeah. so I can't. Yeah. Uh, in the midfield, we've got McRae, Took, Neil, Raul, Berry. Jason Horn, Francis, Nick Dacos, and Ward. And on the bench, we've got Dill Stevens, McDonald, and Owens from St. Kilda. Obviously, the the big difference is Raul in our midfield over um, the the third big dog in, I think you guys had Steele. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, th- this is a, yeah, this is the common one that I'm seeing. Uh, I'm seeing in, um, in Slack as well that this is pretty... 
pretty standard. Um, Pistol, do, do, do you think it's necessary to have both Raul and Berry? Like, it seems uh, almost a fait accompli in our Slack that people want to have Raul and Berry. I, I think it's a, a good idea. I mean, just throwing out numbers, and obviously, JD and Ian, if you, if you don't agree, shout out. But um, Raul, you would probably predict to go within 30 or around 30 points of, of steel, um, give or take five points. And that money that you save ends up going into the back line and getting you a Stewart or a Lloyd and the difference that you're playing, you know, on McCartan on field. Um, I don't think McCartan's going to go 30 points within Lloyd or, or Crisp or Stewart. So I feel like straight off the bat there, you're getting more points on field and you're not really even sacrificing cash generation because if you're not picking someone like Gibkiss, I think we're probably all going to agree that Raul's going to make more money than him as well. So I feel like you make more money and more points by sacrificing that midfield slot to, to end up with a Raul and a Barry. Agree. It's just that it becomes much harder to upgrade to a steal later in the year than it would a defender. Yeah. And that, that's where the trade boosts, I guess, strategy comes mm. in, how aggressively you want to use it. I think if there weren't trade boosts, I would be much more hesitant in going shorter or smaller, I should say, in the midfield. I feel incredibly uncomfortable with just three you know, gun premium uh, midfielders. But yeah, this is this is where that strategy comes with the trade boosts. And I plan personally on using them um, to bring in, you know, top of the range midfielders. Why do I get the feeling, Pistol, that just like in previous years, we all the first run out of trades, you'll be the first run out of trade boosts? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I'm in trouble. No, I'll be, I'll be guns blazing. Um, using my boosts, I'm not going to leave anything behind. I'm going to see how it goes. I think the the person who gets the boosts right this season is probably the person that wins Supercoach or do, does really well. And this year, where there's no real way of knowing straight off the bat what the best use of the boosts are going to be, so I'd rather be more aggressive and be wrong than you know get to the end of the season and be Waiting like, around. oh, you know what, the best yeah. way to play it was actually to just use them. <laughs> This is what he says every year with his trades. He's just copied and pasted from his speech last season. <laughs> oh, no, I, I I'd rather use them all than lose. I mean, up, upgrade cadence is one of the most important things during the year and like where yeah. you win. So the trade boosts tend to make sense to be getting more premiums into your side earlier and being able to coast out the year. I think the choke point is going to be, um, are your rookies making enough cash to let you use the trade boosts at that cadence and are you actually getting replacement rookies that are worthwhile taking yeah. uh because mm. like i could see us getting into a situation where it's like yeah we'll get the extra premium on but then you Force kill it. your cash yeah. generation and you actually just can't get your last premiums done um later on in the year even if you have the trades with yeah. with chesser injured and clark injured and holland's not in the team um we probably have like better downgrade options than we've ever had in like the last five years as well. <laughs> better so, than our starting options. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're all better than our starting yeah. options as well. So um, I feel more confident than last season. I feel like last season we got all the good rookies at the beginning and then halfway through the year we were like, Ugh. I mean, I'm pretty sure I picked up Mead throughout the season and I'm like, what am I meant to do here with, oh, like <laughs> with this? Waterman as well in the forward line that like became a headache. I remember that. Yeah. Like, we got we got 
you know, stuffed around with a lot of those downgrade options. Whereas this year, because we've been stuffed around in the preseason and we don't have those options to start the year, hopefully that means better ones in the end. If, if we're making money, I mean, whole point is I think every year I've started with 13 premiums and this year I have 11. So it's obviously a big shift, but hopefully the mid prices I'm taking don't all flop and I'm making more money than before in combination with boosting will allow me to turn over money much more quickly and be able to upgrade much more quickly and get more premiums before everybody else. I know I'll have used way more trades because I'll be boosting more. <laughs> um, but again, you only get one season to try and figure out how to figure use it out. the boosts more effectively yeah. and get an advantage over everybody else. So I'd rather basically go down swinging and, and, and you know, try and win the game than just play conservatively you know, finish top a thousand for the fourth time in a row and just call it a day. Like uh, one, one day I'm going to beat Cheezo's eighth. That's, that's the aim. Not happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. Um, and uh, do you have any, any comments in general about the, the differences between the two midfields? Or the trade boosts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, boys, I, I look, being too keen for Supercoach, I, Made an NRL team last week, and they're actually up there. It says trade boost, and I clicked on it and had to see what it looks like. But um, no, no, it's been an awesome discussion today, and uh, honestly, it puts me nowhere closer to knowing what I'm going to do in in a bloody less than 48 hours. So, <laughs> still got to figure that out. Still got to figure that out. But um, uh, no, nah, it really that big dog, that third big dog, really strangle the rest of the team and obviously especially defense and, it, and it's it's clear to see it's just it's just so hard dropping a big dog midfielder when we've started four or five nearly every year for the last yep. six yeah. years so that's yep. that's what's in my brain and that's clearly what is is keeping keeping me doing it but um yeah it, it is definitely consideration have we had I, I feel like last year just was like a year out of nowhere where we just had so many that went 115 plus. Am I just imagining that? Like, I feel oh, like the, the no, it's, it's the most. It's the most. Yeah. But they've yeah. had by far. So I think Is a lot of the time. Like, you think it's been a slow that's trend the... up over time? Mm. That's that's the question. That's just so the, the, the benchmark for what an M8 has been has gone up like heavily over the last, I don't know, yeah. 10 years. It used to be 105, and that's what you hear people reference. And it was what genuinely like 115 last year. So you started mm. Merritt and he finished, uh, I think. M9 at 115 average and you're like kind of disappointed because <laughs> yeah. he played 22 or whatever scored you 115 but he got cheap at the buys and he wasn't even a top at mid and you're like oh this sucks like yeah, yeah. crazy crazy stuff yeah um obviously we've gone through our ruck line where we went gone over Darcy I'm I'm pretty comfortable with that discussion kind of brought yep. to the four hour side of things yep um and our forward line was identical, so I, I, we're totally in agreement, and no one has, not all four of us are in the same the boat, and we all believe that this is the perfect amount of mid prices, and we're all on board. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll throw a question at JD. I know. I think if you get Dixon named, Hayes named, and Martin named, are you then are you taking all three, or would you be dropping one of them for like a McEntee again? Don't know how to pronounce it. Um, or a Durden just because of job security? Or how, how would you play that scenario? Yeah, I think for me, it really does come down to that job security because for Hayes, it kind of depends if he gets named with Ryder in the team or not, for example. And Martin's come out of nowhere for Essendon that if he does make the side, you're going to have to carefully study who's been admitted and the likelihood that Martin holds down a spot. Uh, I think Dixon's probably like the most obvious of the three just because of what's happening with West Coast's list um but yeah i i would I, so i've 
played with the devil's money and like run three one or two K plays <laughs> in my side to see what I can do. And oh, you can do some good. really nice stuff. You can do yeah. some really nice stuff. That's I great. Really Chapman from like your whole bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like every time I do it, I kind of know that I'm asking for trouble. And so I th- yeah. think I'm probably just going to end up running two of them if we even get that many selected. But I don't think like, I mean, Durden seems obvious because of job security, even though the scoring potential is not high. McKenty, Baldwin, and I'm sure there's another one that I'm missing that's obvious as well. Like they just, none of them scream great job security or scoring either. So like, why wouldn't you just go the one or 2K route when it's... That's it. At least you get the twenty k and don't have to score as much to to get you the yeah. money. JD, as a as a Bombers fan, do you reckon that Martin gets a game? Because I, I don't have him currently in our best twenty three. Ah, uh, so I wouldn't have before the Amy game. I can see a world where they play him like wing or half forward and push Langford yep. up um into the forward line with Francis and Jones both being out. But I don't know how long they persist with that once like Francis is healthy. And I think that's yeah. the hard thing to know. We also saw that Martin played amazing as a sub. So it's really easy to see them putting him in that role at mm. points throughout the year, which worries me because he does seem to have that flexibility and where he could play around the ground. But I mean, he's come out of nowhere for me. Like I didn't even have him ahead of Wanganine for getting a list spot. And now it, like, oh, will he get a game? Like, I don't, I, yeah, yeah, job security is pretty shaky there. Where where do you see him, Chizo? Just not in the uh, best I- 23. I don't necessarily see him in the best 23. I think he's probably going to get a game. He's probably going to be a sub. I see his best sort of role as um, wing uh, based on the the preseason game. Um, The interesting one for me is I probably had Baldwin almost ahead of Francis to begin with. I think we know with Francis what we're going to get from him and it's not that great. Whereas Baldwin obviously had the high reps as a young kid before he did his ACL twice. So... um, with Jones going down, it's probably going to give you give Baldwin a month, for example. Whereas I, do, I don't, I don't see a world. I mean, there is a world where Martin plays the opening month. Um, I, I just feel like if you're if you're taking say Jack Hayes and Martin on your forward bench, you could that there's a high likelihood that you end up with two donuts immediately, like within the first mm. fortnight. Um, which is probably something that that really concerns me, being a risk averse type of super coach player. And that's before you look at the six blokes that'll be on your field, and they're not. Yeah, like even Dunkley Butters, Cog. I mean, Cogs looks pretty fit, but those mid prices as well. You don't, you don't yeah. be with a lot of confidence either. So, I guess yeah. Jesu, do you do you take Baldwin then if he's only got a month in the team before Jones is back? Because then then he doesn't make really any money, and then you get a dead Waterman rookie. No, no, no. So I was saying that I thought he was ahead of Francis anyway. So, so I so actually you think you can play for a consistent period of time. Longer. Yeah, the the problem is the the problem is we haven't seen definitive evidence that's going to happen. We we haven't had Francis yeah. available to to say that he's going to play. Um, it's just a, from a supporter's point of view, it may be something that I'm wishing more than. <laughs> but but they, we absolutely love Baldwin at the club and. I think he is probably going to be given a go the same way that Harry Jones was given a go last year before he was really fully up to speed with the game. So um, I think like if Baldwin's kicking a goal and a half a game, right, over the first month, Francis doesn't knock him back out. Like Francis isn't cemented into that slot. So as long as Baldwin plays well, he'll take the position. I think that's where I'm at. But it's just 
We've never seen him play before. He's <laughs> exactly. had two ACLs. Exactly. He was a talented junior, but Essendon's forward line hasn't been the best and our entry hasn't been the best. So can yeah. he actually play well over that first month secure spot? That's, yeah. that's a tricky conversation. Our, our small forward is where we've really, we've got a, a spot opening. And unfortunately we didn't get Bobby Hill because it would be really helpful. But if the if we have someone that can even remotely play small forward in any way, they're probably locked in for six months. <laughs> so I think what's interesting is you could, knowing that Dixon's probably going to have at least a month in him minimum just because of the darling injury and then who knows after that. Um, if you take Hayes at F8, it just gives you the flexibility to trade Dixon out um, and, and cash in some cash. Don't know how much it will be, but it just gives you that that flexibility, and then you can keep Hayes as your your R three, um, and that way you gain that extra twenty k the beginning of the season. You don't need to take uh, McEntee and and Baldwin kind of F seven F eight, or you don't need to spend the forty k on Durden as well. So you, can, you can save a bit of forty k and use that on your field, which can make a big difference at the beginning of the season. So I'm definitely, I mean, that's the combo that I ca- currently have. Um, you You've know, got all three, one or two Ks, do you? No, no, Bald Baldwin and 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 Hayes making up my bench, um, so that I can then swap um, Dixon with Hayes when the time comes. Um, yeah, you know, if I had another twenty K, I would be getting um, Durden. I just can't, <laughs> and I, I need I need the money at the moment, and that that's I guess my biggest issue. <laughs> D- uh, Dixon gives you an F nine as well. Because if yeah. you, if you are if you are doing that, yeah. uh, until Hayes obviously doesn't play outside of the first month or so, or but before that, um, yeah. I do think it, Hayes it can play. Link. Like mm. it's not like he, no, he can terrible. play alongside right as well. He's he's <laughs> yeah. totally they, he's in the AFL. Of course, he can play. <laughs> he's the same build, like height is one centimeter taller than yeah. Mason Wood, who gets a gig every week. It's not like Mason Wood can't be dropped either. It's not like... I feel like he'll just be space. in and out, you know, depending on Ryder and all that. Like yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Just like one round here, one round there. That's Which is actually not it's a okay. bad R3 situation. Yeah. Yep. Because you get cover randomly throughout the season. You get a loop, <laughs> get a loop here and there, but... You get a loop, you I get don't cover. I can sell him when I think we'll be uh, looking for a loop this season, yeah. to be honest. No, it won't be hard to find <laughs> They're coming. One. They're coming. <laughs> Yeah, round one will be um, interesting if we have a whole team named and no loops available. I think with West Coast's half a team, I think most people are just going to be looking at Took Miller there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight C. Straight C, yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine. All right, guys, I think uh, that pretty much ticks off everything that I want to talk about. Uh, did you guys have any other questions or are we we good? I think the only other thing that like hasn't been talked about a lot but probably will matter once teams drop for round one is what you do with the last two bench spots in the midfield. So McDonald seems like the one everyone's kind of got penciled in as a bit of a lock for Hawks, even though he may not be guaranteed. But then yep. after that, you've got like Hoff, Saligo, Soligo, Owens, and yep. uh, potentially even Stevens from uh, Geelong. Mm-hmm. Where have you kind of got them rated? How are you thinking through? You know, imagine we live in a world where all of them get named. What do you, What do you do? <laughs> What a world. So I think for me, Owens. Hawk. <laughs> oh, yeah, for all of them get names. <laughs> Owens uh, scored 39 super coach points in the last quarter when he came on, and they've now got, you know, four week injuries, well, month, first month out for Clark, as well as Billings and Zach Joan, as well on mental health leave. So there's a spot for him. He was a decent ball winner. Um, he's kind of that X factor type winger, he's 190 centimeter winger. I think he can accumulate the ball just at a rate that the other 
guys probably can't. Um, so that's probably where I look in terms of upside, but job security is not the best. Um, I think for Crows, Soligo has got no job security whatsoever. I, I, I wouldn't even be touching him, to be honest with you. If we've got Dawson, Miller, uh, Seedsman coming into those wing roles. Even Soligo moving to the half forward doesn't really help because of the way they structure their side. They can bring in Peddler. They can bring in Barry. There's just too many fringe people that he'll be in and out. He can play sub, kills his cash gen. It just screams a non-selection. Um, and then Hoff, Hoff is not ready to play AFL, but they don't have a choice. So <laughs> you kind of force into it. Something that I've been considering is taking um, McEntee in the midfield just because I feel like Port Adelaide typically in the past, when they when they play a youngster, they really play them um, for a yeah. long period of time. And the competition for that spot is really Motlop. And I don't think Motlop's that good. <laughs> yeah, he's and been getting by on name value alone. How long's Robbie Gray out for? Also, he's not. He's, he's fit. I think he's, he's going to be good. So, but oh, McIntyre oh, okay. was in the team and playing before any of that. Like he was in the twenty-two. Yeah. So he played last year. Am I am I right about that? He, he was a mid-season and... pickup. Yeah, mid-season rookie. He was draft. a mid-season. So he was. A, I did some research into him. He was a he was a midfielder before he got picked up. They spent. They picked him up. They converted him into a small forward in the Sandful. Um, he was quite successful in the Sandful. I think he, he averaged like seventeen touches and one and a half goals a game, something like that. So not a bad ball winner by any stretch of the imagination. And then now you've got a situation where Fantasia's out for like two months and mm. Motlop's really fringe in his own side, to be honest. So that's a position where I feel like he could hold if he's named in round one. So I'm kind of feeling like out of all of these dodgy bench, you know, M11 types, he, he actually might be just mm. the go for me, to be honest. So, he, but you've got him behind Baldwin and Durden? Yeah, only because it's in the forward line. Um, it's a bit tricky. I also need that 20K, which is why I have Hayes. Um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's where it, that becomes an issue. But yeah, at the moment, I have Owens until Owens isn't named. And if he's not named, then I'll get McEntee. And that's kind of mm. how I plan on navigating. Um, I think Hoff is a player who could play. And he if he plays six games, we'll get probably defensive status as well which is kind of cool. But I also see him having that 45 to 50 scoring potential and being a really slow burn. And as soon as they get Cole back and these defenders, I I just don't see him surviving the side. And Mm. and very Harry Sharp-like. You know, if they're fit early, he's not ready to play AFL. He could just play, you know, two games and then not play again for the entire season. Yeah. But it's a good (laughs) Yeah. I I guess guess with... um... Uh, McKenty there he had 80% time on ground in the mm. warm-up game, which means nothing. He played <laughs> a game last year, so for three, and suddenly he was priced at 102k, scored three, and suddenly starts here at 124k, which I think is ridiculous. Why don't we get him at 15k? Um, <laughs> and Port have the history of trusting rookies when they've got a designated role. And he's got DPP, which opens up the midfield, which there's no other rookies we're really contemplating that allows us to have that swing so early in the year. So M11 you know, I'm taking my over Baldwin now. I'm changing my mind. <laughs> if he's not. Yeah. I'm picking him at this stage, McEntee, obviously, if he gets named. But, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good one. 
I'd mm. probably have him above Baldwin as well. Yeah. Well, I didn't mention Stevens because I don't really see him getting named for Geelong. I guess he might and then be the better option. But I find I find that role, that position in the Geelong side, really, really hard to read. You've got Francis yep. Evans. You've got a whole bunch of fringe. Yeah. Like, and they're always really to... clear. Every year we play Geelong for like play some youth and it just never happens in the way we want it. So, <laughs> I mean, they'd have Duncan out, Managola coming back, stuff like that. So I, even if he does play, it just screams like he wouldn't play for very long at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same as um, Will Kelly. I know I didn't mention him on purpose, but I feel like he's yeah. the type to get a couple of weeks, rough head comes back, and then we never see Will Kelly again for the rest of the season. So that that's a strong avoid and is a bad loophole, at least. At least Hoff is yeah. plays for West Coast and there's a lot of Sunday games. Collingwood play early like every week, so you get stuck with a guy that's going to be locked out first. It's a nightmare situation. Yeah. God, this has been a good chat. I've really enjoyed this. It hasn't felt as long as it is. That's, yeah. Aaron 45. I think we've covered everything. Like if you just listen to one podcast, for the year and then built a super coach side and we're ready for everyone. Yeah. I think we've done a good enough job to get you there, which yeah. wasn't the intention, but kind of a nice side effect. Of the chat. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to draft now guys or what? No, <laughs> oh, yeah. we were going to do that. Out we? the window. <laughs> no, no, I, was, I think uh, this has been high value. Yeah. 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 All right. I guess dude, what, what's the um, exit now? Just click. What's the sign off? Stop, stop and leave the show. Uh, well, <laughs> Do, do we do socials? Do we uh, do a hot take? What do you want to do? We, you you got to plug all your socials. That's how it works, right? We are terrible at doing this. Like we almost never do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like not, not a great yeah, way to run it. We fail at. <laughs> no, go on, go plug. All right. Well, we've got Fantasy Take TV is the the Twitter handle. Um, Obviously, George, his YouTube channels where our podcasts go up as, as well as all the other platforms um, that you listen to your podcast to. Um, I'm NOFTTV at Twitter, JD's Jackson Davey. Um, and that is pretty much it. How about you boys sign off? You can find Chizo at Chizo with a Z underscore D-I-S-C and Pistol at Pistol underscore D-R-S-C. And all the negative feedback from today's episode, you can send to at JB underscore D-R-S-C. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thanks, guys, for the chat. It was great. Hopefully, we can do a couple catch-up sessions throughout the season, see how we're tracking, maybe convince you guys to get on haul a little bit quicker than last season. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. Oi, oi, you can the, the, you're gonna try and claim Ridley as a start and then Hall that you were on before me? No way. No way. And, sure? uh, and Pistol, I like I sent you an invite saying, like, hey, now we're in Sydney, can we do some podcasting together? And you just left me on read. That was really weird. So maybe we can solve that next time. We'll resolve to, to be continued. <laughs> Cheers, boys. That was great fun. <laughs>